0: Hello and welcome back to Sports Weekly. As ever, I am joined by Chris. Chris, say hi. Hello. Will, Will, say hi. Hello there. And for the second week in a row, Josh, Josh, say hi. Hi. Uh, This is Sports Weekly. So hello and welcome back to Sports Weekly for another episode of series two. New format, lots of sports to talk about, but the same old boring bugger in host. So, Chris, how the devil are you?
1: Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks, yeah. Have a good That's weekend. Good. Um, did, you, did you have yeah, a better
0: weekend because the Formula One was back
1: in action? Yeah, I watched. Yeah, it was good, yeah. It was uh, Yeah, really exciting race um, on Sunday. So, yeah, so I quite enjoyed watching that. Um, a lot of incident, a lot, uh, lot of safety cars. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, a bit of an unusual kind of top four. So, so um, One good. for Lando was, Norris
0: as well. Uh, yeah, he was
1: great. Yeah, he did really well. Um, his first ever <laughs> podium. And uh, good to see British drivers doing well in the sport. And um, he set a fastest lap on the last lap, which is pretty good, considering he definitely isn't in the best car. So that was a great effort. Yeah to uh, steal
2: What's that the, um, um, what, what, what was his co- I saw his comment on Twitter something like um, I was on a Twitch stream three days ago now I've won my first ever uh, race is, it, it, was that him I'm pretty sure that was him
1: yeah so he's been doing a lot of the esports kind of racing online which oh um, is that with like we T-Burc touched called? 12? yeah we t- well, t- like t- touched on that one to the of our lockdown time. episodes and he's been one of the drivers who's been uh, getting involved with that more than, more than most really and it's uh, obviously kept his eye in because he uh, drove brilliantly on on Sunday, yeah. so uh, yeah, he's built up quite a good following over the sort of uh, lockdown period um, through doing that, and so his sort of, popularity has uh, increased a lot over that time as well. So he's having a
0: great great uh, sort of month, really. Yeah. He's uh, I, it was I watched the highlights of the race, and it was one of the more exciting ones. I have to say, it's this probably yeah. one to to potentially get the the followers of F1 back back yeah. into the sport. Absolutely. Um, Josh, you okay? Massive win for for your guys and and the King Vardy hundred Premier League record, not record, but
3: yeah,
0: we'll call it it. record for maybe who's for players who've also played for Fleetwood Town, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. well, (laughs) record for Vardy. Second in the list, isn't he, of 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 people to join the Premier League at the oldest Mm. time and still reaching. Yeah, yeah. Only amazing achievement.
3: Yeah, and just nice to nice that it coincided with our first win in what seems about
0: four months. Because Rodgers, Rodgers was under a bit of pressure from Leicester fans. Like, similar to the football Puel was playing. Oh, B.A. Honestly, I'm, I'm <laughs> friends with quite a few Leicester fans. and
3: yeah. Yeah. I, I just think, I very much think it's the squad have been overperforming all season and they're just starting to... It's been a very similar team that's been started almost every match. I think they're just a bit... Or can you say tied when they've had this much time off? I don't know. But yeah,
0: I'd be very glad to cling on to a a top four space. And and with that kind of victory, it looks possible. And and it's always the old adage that once the striker breaks the duck and scores Mm -hmm. again, they just start scoring. And his second goal was vintage Vardy, wasn't it?
3: Unbelievable. Just lovely. The amount of times you think he's going to smash it past the keeper and just does his little trademark dink yeah it's
0: very nice very how, welcome how can someone so not so old in a football term <laughs> be so rapid still it's ridiculous <laughs> and it's been well
3: documented that he's not on like a special diet or anything a la Novak Djokovic or something like that he just does what he wants and he doesn't sprint as much as he used to but
0: yeah he's not one for
3: I don't know it's just in his anatomy who knows yeah, yeah
0: it's just true. built into that I think. <laughs> built into him yeah <laughs> Um, and Will, <laughs> come on to you, because you had a lovely weekend, I imagine, with a lovely 4-0 victory for Stoke. And actually, one of our uh, followers' messages was was directed to you. And they said, uh, really enjoyed the last episode with the Second Tier podcast, which was the uh, championship episode we just did. Uh, question for Will, after the uh, 4-0 beating, battering of Barnsley, was it, I want to say? Well, uh, it was, he
2: wasn't allowed score was
0: it <laughs> yeah are you confident now of staying up because you weren't so confident so, in the last one
2: well no and um as, as i was so famously um referenced on actually on the second tier's podcast which i believe was entitled fight club uh, jason had indeed said that he spoke to a stoke fan on monday didn't name drop which i understand you know uh with fame it becomes a bit of uh conflict um but um yeah no he he said i thought we were definitely down I mean, I don't, think we're, I don't think we're safe. We've got five games left. Um, it, it's, so, it's so unfortunate to watch Wigan be in the position that they are after hammering us. They played amazingly, Naismith especially. And then to have a 12-point deduction, which, yes, gives us a cushion. But if we stay up this season, and I, I'm, once again, I'm going to be negative, but you can't be positive in regards of what you've seen, other than the hiring of Michael O'Neill. It's been an absolute shit show. Um, but... Yeah, we're not we're not safe by any stretch of the imagination. Um, If we stay up, it's not because of how well we've played; it's how poor everyone else has been. Don't get me wrong. That game on Saturday proved exactly how well that team can play. Without doubt, if you see Tyrese Campbell's finish, it's the best finish of the weekend. It's absolutely exquisite, Um, and it epitomises essentially where Stoke have occasionally been this season and what performances they can bring out. But lest we forget five games left everyone's winning everyone can lose it's so inconsistent it's kind of wonderfully horrific Yeah. You know, it's kind of like
0: but is, isn't uh, that the championship in a nutshell just wonderfully horrific that like even the top teams I, just lose randomly yeah, at random times
2: yeah uh, but yeah I, anyway there are two things to celebrate I mean you are absolutely correct but you know Leeds and West Bram are pretty much up now if they, if they cock it up then it'll just be another story <laughs> yeah. um, I think I think Luton are pretty much down after that game yeah. against Reading. I think we, Wigan may be down. You know, I hope they don't. I really hope they don't. I think, yeah. to be honest, I think Stoke, I think if the one team needed to be swapped for Wigan, I think it should be Stoke for a Hull. Um But either way, yep, keep on the momentum, bring it on Thursday. We've got Leeds. Also, yeah. something we need to mention, the cricket's back on BBC 2 this Wednesday. That's, <laughs> that's magic. That's exactly what I want to see. This is, ah, oh, oh, this, this whole vector poisonous ball thing that they tried to come up with. Uh, screw them. The is back, baby.
0: Cricket is back. Um, and, Will, you mentioned a lot about Wigan. I would, I would go on to talk about Villa, obviously, but we're the only ones that seem to have lost over the weekend. And uh, we don't want to talk about Aston Villa. We don't want to put, talk about losers, do we? So, um, Chris... Well, you... I mean...
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: Sorry, sorry. Um, I mean, we're heading yeah, to the yeah. v- division that Will described as um, wonderfully horrific. Um, but... <laughs> I'm Um, sure Billy will play their part in
1: that. Well, exactly.
0: More more of the horrific (laughs) side of things, exactly. Rarely wonderful, often horrific. Um, Chris, Will there talked a lot about, uh, a bit about, sorry, Wigan, and hoping they stay up. Now, we have a sports story every week in this first section, and I tasked you with finding out a bit more about the Wigan situation. You came up and showed us all a thread that just highlights how horrific and just corrupt the the Wigan situation is. So please shed a bit more light on that situation.
1: Yeah, so um, so I'll start off with the facts, and then I'll move on to the uh, the juicy speculation that is completely unfounded. <laughs> you so, you, you know. sounded you sounded quite a lot like Rafa
0: Benitez then, just like yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, just going to go into a rant. The facts. So, yeah, I'll start off with what we know, and then I'll move on to the speculation that um, we don't know whether it's true or not. Uh, yeah but uh, I'll get on to that so yeah at the moment so yeah the story kind of starts with we're gonna uh, as a lot of uh, people who have an interest in football know we're owned by uh, David Whelan for 23 years uh, who ran the put a lot of his own money into the club from his sports empire and uh, took them up into the Premier League and uh, even won some silverware with the FA Cup uh, a few years ago and he then sold it to a company called IEC for 60 million pounds um, who are owned by a professional gambler called Stanley Choi. But this company uh, floated on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, so have a level of uh, reputability to them. Uh, and then they ran the club pretty well, really, by all accounts, for about 18 months. Uh, they put money into upgrading the training ground, the chance of business was fairly sensible, um, and the club was sort of ticking on reasonably well. Uh, and then it all started to go a little bit odd, um, in June when this company sold to another company called going by the name NLF for 17.5 million pounds. Um what's slightly odd is that NLF afforded the club because it was loaned £28 million pounds by IEC, the company that was owning Wigan in the first place. So you're kind of asking why one company is loaning another to buy it, but but anyway. Not only that, this loan had an interest rate of eight percent, which is very high. Uh, but that rose to 20% if it wasn't payback back within 12 months. Um, and even more weirdly, NLF is owned by the same man, uh, Stanley Choi, who owns the IEC company. So it's some sort of, yeah, that's unusual. Um, and like the first company are based in Hong Kong and uh, an office registered in the Cayman Islands, obviously a notorious kind of tax haven. So this is already ringing a few alarm bells, um, but this was all kind of waved through by the... Um, the EFL. Um, then on the same day as a sale, uh, sort of the twenty-five million pounds that IEC had put into the club in the uh, over its eighteen months of stewardship was repaid immediately in full. Um, and with a new director coming in, a guy called Our Young, um, who then enjoyed the club for about five hours and then immediately put it into administration. <laughs> so. With about, According to the current administrators, they need about £6 million to get to the end of the season. Um, and of course, as Will touched upon earlier, going into administration brings a 12-point penalty, which would tear, put Wigan at the bottom of the league. Um, the club had previously been on a run of six wins in seven without conceding a goal before they played Brentford at the weekend and lost 3-0. Uh, but that run had taken the club from the relegation zone in January to seven points clear of the drop. So they'd obviously, doing the maths, be about five points. Um, adrift at the bottom uh, that was before the weekends that might have changed now but but so, yeah certainly comfortably adrift and um, so then they're all the facts as we have them but it kind of raises the biggest question is and the weirdest thing is why would in the middle of a coronavirus epidemic with football shut down and most clubs fearing going out of business why would you pay 41 million pounds to take over a club just to put it on the administration four hours later and basically write off your 41 million quid You've paid because it's gone to administrators. Hmm, that raises quite a few questions. Yeah, quite a few. Uh, I'm sure you're going to answer it though, Chris. Well, yeah, so, yeah, so that's a nice little segue. uh, (laughs) So so then we're moving on to the speculation part. So they're all the facts that we have presented to them. Um, So the speculation is well, first of all, no one's met the new owner. And there are actually questions over whether he exists or whether it's just a sort of name in a front that's been put up by the previous owner. Yeah, uh, because people have done Google
0: searches and stuff for him, haven't they? And it comes up with zero results.
1: There's been Google searches and the athletic um, sports um, journalist network could only pick up, find two traces of him on the Internet. And both of them were quite Uh, scary and from quite a long mm. time ago. Mm. Um, Sorry, someone just wanted to come in then. No, no, um, no, I'm just, no. No, was, sorry. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. So, so there doesn't seem to be too much about this guy. So there's raised questions about existence. And then following that, there's been, um, fo- yeah, following the uh, revelations in, on Wednesday, the AFL chairman Rick Parry was filmed speculating whether the uh, the owners who have sold uh, have bet on Wigan to be relegated, um, i.e., large bet placed at the beginning of the season for them to go down. And after this great run of form, they've potentially panicked. And then, um, but yeah, effectively, brought administration on themselves to ensure the bet is successful. Uh, IEC, as you'd expect, offered no comment on that, and at the moment, that is just uh, speculation. But Rick Parry has welcomed questions on it, and he'll he'll gladly field questions from the uh, administrators and lawyers on that. So he, there may be some more information to come out of him on that. Um, there's also been from a f- thread on Twitter that I sent to you guys reports of illegal betting going on in stands at Wigan previously, and people have been uh, allegedly speaking to people in Hong Kong and uh, have been kicked out of the stadium because of that. Uh, is, so is, that.
0: It's like a minute behind, isn't it? The Yeah, so the, the way coverage. you do that, you effectively are
1: then that system works by stating what's going on in the stadium in real time. And then
2: it only appears on
1: the website 20 seconds later or so. So in that delay. To be fair,
2: this is absolutely massive as well. This isn't just Wigan. This happens all across the championship and lower leagues, Mm. um, which begs a different, well, it kind of begs the question. um, So security guards can find the one man in the crowd who's wiretapped using his phone Mm. for betting services, but they can't stop, how do I say, Um, a massive conglomerate. Take well, not a massive, well, I mean a massive betting company, hmm. um, taking Wigan down and yeah. passing some sort of uh, well, no, it's not a fit and proper person says no, that's not what it's called, but yeah. it's amazing how they can find someone like that in a crowd who's being dodgy but can't sort of manage to do a background check of a man who could possibly not exist.
1: Yeah, yeah that's a good point, uh, Will, absolutely. And the, the other thing that is, if it's not related to betting, another potential reason is that. It was found that after Wigan was sold, the IEC share price tripled uh, in the hours following that. So maybe rather than betting, it could be to do with uh, stocks and shares sort of trading and things like that as well. We we don't know at this stage. Um, still waiting to to hear more on the, on the whole story and see how it unfolds. Really, but there's certainly a lot of questions and digging uh, to be done by the lawyers and administrators of Wigan now. And I'm I'm hoping that. Um, Deep, more details will emerge over the next few days and weeks and that um we can have a as positive a resolution to it as Wigan can have really, because at the moment they're I mean, as it stands, they're um yeah, if the twelve point penalty is applied, I think they'll be in a lot of trouble. And then even worse than that, potentially rewarding these uh poor yeah. the uh, owners who have um not acted in the club's best interest to, to help themselves really.
0: So but I think I think it just highlights what a sorry state of affairs the entire EFL and the entire money system within football is because you can't, why, why are we, why is it allowing owners like the ones that took over at Wigan? Um, to to own a football club, the likes of and Barry the, to some degree and Barry and Macclesfield and Charlton and all of these people that mm. don't really care about football have no interest in that. Want to make a quick bit of money, try and mm. um, get the club up to the Premier League, and if it doesn't work, we're going to sell you on to whoever, and we don't care who it is. Um, it's just it's it just leaves a, a massively sour taste, and it can't keep getting to the point. And it is it's largely in the northwest as well, where these clubs keep and keep mm. and keep on getting into really difficult financial situations going to administration clubs go down they lose more money the club then goes bust and and Mm. and and is no longer in business and these and these fans who have been supporting a club for that's been around for 90 plus years are left with no club to support how can that be right how can how can that like you said will a fit and proper person's test and yeah it's not called that but is there a test is there anything actually going on well
2: the, the the efl the, the EFL um, was supposed to put in certain background checks. The issue with these certain background checks is that they don't work. But we said that, I mean, we raised this issue years ago on a, on a lockdown podcast mm. where it was something like, what's one of the worst things in football? And it's the money that's being involved in football because things like this are overlooked. And I do want to point out earlier, that was, someone made a good point earlier, in the fact that the champ. so after the Premier League, we know there are issues in the Premier League. We understand that. But in regards of the attention it gets, this would never happen to an Arsenal. Abort. Hell, it wouldn't happen to a Bournemouth. It wouldn't happen to a Brighton. It wouldn't happen to a Norwich. But once they get into the Premier League, the sanctions it seems it takes uh, to have a Premier League club, it, it, it seems so much stricter or, or luckier or they look the other way. I'm not quite sure. But does that not but, tell you the,
0: yeah. the absolute, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the, the power of the Premier League? That you're, right, you're no, right, it wouldn't happen. I, I, I don't but, think it does. I don't do you not know think? It because it think wouldn't it happen because look how bad the brand would look if it happened to a Premier League club. Or I think it? they got stung no, I, I, when uh,
1: things like Portsmouth went absolutely under and Leeds United. And I think that really woke the Premier League up to this sort of thing. So they've almost had this in this sort of 2000s. Yeah. And I think they tightened up a bit on it because of that. Whereas, as, as Will and yourself, Dana, mentioned, it's kind of not police to the same level in the uh, in the lower divisions and and also in this case I think um, the fact that the company IEC I is floated on the New York Stock Exchange added an element of legitimacy to it so it wasn't just some absolute despot sort of dictator oil owner coming in oh yeah. it's a, they probably looked at it and thought oh this is companies actually on a stock exchange it must be pretty good and they've had 18 months of sensible kind of stewardship which kind of if that's if they've done that knowing that this was always going to happen in the end then that's like really playing the long game isn't it like 18 months of making it look reputable before uh absolutely stinging it at the end i don't know but
3: uh, i feel like the most infuriating thing is that it can be different and like we know in germany for example that they run football clubs properly and there's mm-hmm. like a mandated amount of fan ownership for a club. Yeah. So it doesn't, doesn't have to be this way. I and mean, you see it happen again and again and nothing changes. And you know that it's not like this the world over. Like there are other leagues that do this so much better with just a little bit of regulation. Mm-hmm. Just,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're out, we're well, out of time um, on this section. Sorry, Will, yeah. I'll, I'll give you the last point no, in a second. Try. We're out of time in this I, section, j- just about. But Will, um, last point to you, please. Yeah, sorry, I was just going to say the
2: issue is that this is completely avoidable and it's so easy steps yeah. to take in place. If a restaurant chain can have a, have certain steps to take place for someone to just own a McDonald's, it can't be that hard to have a stricter in-place set of rules, to have someone um, go in and go, how do you run this club, show me how you run this club, and then just abide by some sort of regulation. And it can't be flimsy, it needs to be strict and it needs to stop happening or else fuck football.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And I think football fans all over England and possibly all over the world are sick of, 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 of good clubs being run horrendously. And it's happened to so many good clubs that it's it, end, end of story, please. Just stop letting rogue owners own football clubs for their own gains because it's just absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, um, that's the end of section one. Thank you for your story, Chris. Next up, we are joined by the Passing Shot Tennis Podcast to talk about the state of men's tennis. Coming up next so hello and welcome back to part two where we are joined by our lovely guests from the passing shot tennis podcasts uh kim and joel kim how are you
5: i'm good thanks yeah thanks for having us
0: on well you're welcome thank you for coming on it's lovely to have guests we had some guests on last week more guests on this week is absolutely fantastic joel are you okay yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I'm just uh,
4: just at home, really, just working from home. Having Wimbledon on, of course, in my lunch break, <laughs> yeah. uh, after work as well. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm slight, slightly missing it, getting a bit sad when I see all the all the uh, the replays on TV.
0: Yeah, without a doubt, there's been so many classic matches from Wimbledon that've been playing recently. I've been watching them too, and it's a bit a bit sad when you when you think well, I should be outside now watching the watching the match. <laughs> From my garden,
5: yeah, eating some I know. strawberries. We Kim, would have been Kim setting up.
0: Would lo- Kim would actually love to be
4: in the Wimbledon queue right now, wouldn't you?
5: Yeah, I'm a massive <laughs> queue diehard fan. Often I enjoy it more than the tennis, which sounds strange if yeah. you've never been to Wimbledon queue, uh, perhaps. But Are you just-
0: are you a, a Murray Mound, Henman Hill type uh, spectator? Um, are you a, a centre court?
5: Oh, no, I'm more of a grounds pass um, and a right. random kind of doubles match on court yeah. 15 sort of person. But yeah, I, mean, I, you... I do camp uh, for Rafa Nadal. Uh, oh,
0: okay of course, he who like... wouldn't. I mean, who well, would exactly.
5: He's Rafa the only person I'd camp for.
0: <laughs> well, who wouldn't want to see him up close picking the, picking the pants out of his
5: <laughs> well, <there you> go.
3: <laughs> nether region? So
0: um, it's, uh, it's so lovely to have you on. Of course, we're joined by Josh as well. Uh, Josh, let me hear your voice just so people know you're actually around still. I'm still here. I'm
3: almost like a guest because I've only been back on a couple of weeks. You can call me a guest Um, too if you like.
0: Yeah, guest Josh just stuck around for the second week in a row we don't really want him here but you know he's kind of like a bad <laughs> smell and um so we've brought these guests on these wonderful guests because there's so much to talk about in the men's tennis game uh, specifically the men's tennis game which has taken a massive tumble in terms of reputation over recent weeks um from coronavirus scandals to um just there being a lack of real challenge in the men's game to massive role reversals in certain players so we're going to talk about all of that right now but we're going to start off with the Adrian Tennis tour, not one that I actually watched a lot, a lot of Kim, but one that oh, everybody in the world, whether tennis fans or not, heard so much about it. Um, did you watch much of it yourself, Kim?
5: I watched a little bit, but to be fair, it didn't it maybe appeal to me in the same way as I don't know, regular tennis would have done. But I think it, that's kind of beside the point, really, now because it's obviously become. Much more famous for less uh, salubrious reasons. Uh, the controversy around, I guess, how, how they staged it. You know, it's. I think they seem to forget why they were putting it on mm. um, and the reason why they were having a kind of makeshift uh, tournament across the Balkans. There, there um, were good
0: intentions at the start, weren't there? Charitable yeah, donations? And that
5: exactly. Thing. Yeah, and I think Djokovic, who was kind of the main organiser behind it, you know, he wanted to bring together... Uh, players you know in in the light of what's going on the pandemic and I think he sort of wanted to make it a a platform as well for some lower ranked players from from the Balkan countries to kind of uh, get a bit of you know practice and and a stage for them but yeah the way it was it was put together like no social distancing uh, fans in the in the stands they weren't even seated like uh, a seat or two apart just well, the, in the opening match,
0: there were 4,000 spectators.
5: Yeah. Uh, they had a kid's day. They had all those photos where Novak was posing with all the, all the kind of ball kids and, and the kids. And they, they, um, you know, just absolutely no no adherence to kind of what was going, going on in the world. And a lot of people said the Serbian health authorities kind of said it was okay, that, you know, the cases in Serbia were much lower. They didn't need to, like, have such strict measures. Um, but I think it was just very insensitive globally to to stage something and and not pay attention to kind of how bad the virus is in other places like regardless if it was better in Serbia.
0: Yeah Um, I think I I think you are so right in terms of not paying attention to the fact that yes it might not be terrible here but it's so bad everywhere else I think about how bad this could look right now I mean Joel um, Kim mentioned quite a lot of it there and supposed to be this tour I think it was four dates wasn't it over four weekends in the Balkans Mm, and different in different places. Which ended up with Djokovic, his wife Elena, uh, Dimitrov, um, Borna Koric uh, Troitsky, uh, two Djokovic coaches, one Dimitrov coach, Troitsky's pregnant yeah. wife. Like all yeah, of them, I know, I know. contracting coronavirus. It felt like uh,
4: it genuinely felt like a, a soap opera uh, being played <laughs> yeah, out. Um, yeah. You know, you're wondering, like, you know, you're just almost kind of going on Twitter and kind of waiting for the, you know, the next person to kind of put out a statement and. Um, you know, I think really kind of, we're, you know, we're in this time of like reflecting on it. And, and, you know, of course, I think, you know, I think the key takeout is this is how how not to run, uh, you know, a tennis tournament in the new normal. And I think it's I think the most interesting thing is, of course, um, you know, in the UK, we've just had you know, the Battle of the Brits kind of showdown. And, you know, for
0: but me... How, how, well run? Run? how well was that How well was that Yeah, I mean, really? very well. <laughs> Perfection.
3: It was <laughs>
4: yeah. perfectly
0: done. Yeah. It was and entertaining amazing. tennis on, on, on show as well, between yeah. British, British I mean, yeah, players, probably was, all apart from Andy Murray at the top of their game currently.
4: It was, um, yeah, it was extremely competitive. Yes, it was an exhibition, but the, the level was really high. And as I was, was going to say, it was like an absolutely very stark contrast to, to what was going on you know in um, in in the adria cup uh, all i rec- all, you know all i can remember is you know the 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 the, re- the tournament release photo for the battle of brits was, was all of them kind of standing on a courts aware and socially distant from one another yeah. and then Oh, yeah, the Adria Cup is like you know an absolute free for all with you know four thousand people in stands. You know, it, people it was shaking the, hands. It was the final uh, photo you know, that got people...
0: me. After after the first um, part of it was won, where they're all there, stood together, arms round each other, showcasing this trophy. That that was the worst uh, part about it for me.
3: It felt didn't it? Did it not feel to you guys like you were watching something from a few months ago? Well, from more than a few months ago. It felt like, <laughs> like nothing a, like had a changed. Like the like highlights th- real? Yeah, yeah, like a highlight show, like a parallel universe. And I think I really do think Djokovic tried to sort of absolve himself of blame. I think he initially put out a statement saying that we were kind of observing all the guidance at the time in these countries, but it's it's not true. So there was they were easing the lockdown in Serbia, but they still recommended a meter social distancing, which was not observed anywhere. It was very much there was a kind of reluctance to admit fault from Djokovic, which kind of kind of continued into his going home immediately after and not getting a test right away, which you're meant to do. Um, Not kind of isolating 14 days as you're meant to do, as we're all kind of supposed to do because we're living together in this pandemic. Um, It really did feel like
0: a kind of one rule, for us, another rule for it everybody else. It wasn't just Djokovic yeah. that was that was absolving himself of any blame. It was Djokovic's dad. <laughs> it was also <laughs> Djokovic. He would
4: want to put all the blame on uh, yeah, was Dimitrov. And, Dimitrov?
0: Yeah.
4: I think
5: there's yeah, a bit of now, all contentions going yeah. in the play
0: there. <laughs> Without doubt, yeah. So Popper is bang on, Joel. I do wonder what it's going to be like next time they meet and whether they will touch mm. tennis racket tips or whether they'll just Popper kind of...
3: I mean, yeah. why? I mean, why even? Even if you can shake hands, you, you notice other tournaments like right, around the world not doing that. What? Why even bother? Why not just for the for the sake of kind of your reputation? Just touch rackets, for example. Well, I suppose with four thousand people in the stadium, who cares? It's
0: free for all. I think the biggest stupidity of this all is is tennis is, so it's, it's it's known the world over as. All over the world, people fly yeah. to different places. Yes, yeah. yes, it's taken place in Serbia or it's taken place in Croatia, but and they might not have high levels of coronavirus. But these players fly to all over the world to play different tennis tournaments, where the the level of coronavirus is massive in some places in the world, and yet they're still like, well, we're we're in, we're in um, Serbia or Croatia, so actually there's probably a coronavirus bubble over our heads, and it doesn't affect us when we're here. So cool, let's just do whatever we want. I mean, yeah, som- I, some real stupidity there, think- right?
5: I think there was a, a certain amount of arrogance coming at it. I mean, I don't want to say it's all kind of the male tennis players, but it, it I haven't seen any female tennis players kind of displaying, at least not publicly, this kind of level of kind of arrogance. And it's almost like they feel like they're they're immune to it and that they couldn't possibly um, fall foul of it. It's something that happens to someone else. But I mean, obviously, the Battle of the Brits demonstrated that there are tennis players taking this very seriously. So I think it's mm. it's not often that we can say we've got the moral high ground i suppose <laughs> with the coronavirus in this day and age yeah. like the uk but um like i'm really proud of like what jamie murray managed to organize there but yeah djokovic certainly hasn't helped his his media profile was the way he handled it and um and his kind of statements since then but i think you know we didn't want to sort of be too negative um like when we discussed this on our pod we didn't want to sort of um you know, have a massive go at him because I think, you know, the fault lies across kind of, it's not yeah. just him, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's the organization as a whole and, and the authorities. Yeah. But I think the main lesson is that, yeah, this is not how you run a tennis tournament in, in the time of coronavirus. And this, uh, I mean, I'd like to say that people have learnt their lesson, but at the moment, well, last week there was a, a tournament over in Atlanta and they had fans as well there. And I don't know if you know, but Francis TFO tested positive out in the States And he had been feeling unwell for a few days and he still decided to play his match. And um, yeah, there were fans allowed to attend that event. And obviously in the US, you know, cases are kind of surging again. So you think they would have learned from what happened in the Adria Cup, but perhaps...
0: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with arrogance. There's a level of arrogance, isn't there? Which I think certain people who may not be fans of tennis maybe always thought, because there's this, there's this thought that tennis is, is a sport for richer people who have the access to then play it, and there's a certain level of arrogance in there, similar to how F1's perceived from the outside as well, which isn't always true and, and often is unfair, when actually they're completely living up to it at the minute. And I think Djokovic in some ways, yes, initially he was probably not Shown in the best light, he did kind of take himself back from that, apologize, and we haven't really heard a lot from him since. Whereas you look at the likes of Zverev, who attended a party and was on um, social media in that party after six days after the tournament and after um, after the coronavirus outbreak. There, the likes of Dominic Thiem, who's been to play so many different tournaments. Yes, yep. he's the most <laughs> negative guy on tour. However, however, oh no. he you're supposed to, you don't know, like no one knows if he has it. And actually for him, it would have been such a better look if he just avoided anything for 14 days and just Mm. self isolated, whether he did or not, just didn't come out in the public. And then you look at the likes of John Isner, who's calling people Corona bros and whatnot. It just, there is a level of arrogance that says to me, and I don't know what you think, Joel, but that says to me, we're above this and we're better than that. And and we don't need to worry about that because we're top, top ranking tennis players. Yeah.
4: Uh, all I would kind of say to that is uh, I, I agree. I think there's it, they might not think they're being you know arrogant, but that's the way it's coming across. And I think what this for me kind of showcases the fact the need really I think for someone like the ATP or the ITF to come in. And I think there's a piece for them to do, particularly around kind of player education um and knowing kind of what is acceptable and what isn't. Because you know at the end of the day they're you know they're damaging the sport and you know. People are going to need to, you know, people are going to need to give advice um, and education um, to players to be like, OK, this is acceptable. This isn't acceptable. Um, so they know, you know, so they know what to do. And, you know, it might feel like common sense things, but, you know, at the moment, common sense things are you know, not being adhered to. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily just put kind of, you know, that responsibility on players. I think there's also a role. For someone like the ATP or the ITF or whoever to have some sort of, you know, working group that can help tournaments, you know, be put on in the right way. Um, I think it's interesting. We're having lots of these exhibitions come up that are kind of fronted by players. You know, Jamie Murray, batter of the Brits, Novak Djokovic with the Edra Cup. And you know, if you do that, you put yourself in a position of vulnerability because yes, it could go absolutely amazing and, um, you know, you can get plaudits for it, a la Battle of the Brits and Jamie Murray, but if it goes the other way, you know, you're kind of almost first in the firing line and I think it's important that, you know, there's some sort of support from a governing body which is, again, goes to a tournament and, and says, right, you can do this, but you, you know, you can't do that and almost kind of have some, you know, new rules in, in place um, and you know, I'm just kind of building that again to say, I'm almost kind of glad we've had this situation now, um, so that we can learn our we can learn our lessons from it. And I think this is one of those situations where, you know, everything that's gone wrong has gone wrong. We're not talking about the tennis, um, but I'm almost kind of okay with that because we need to have these discussions right now in order to make tennis safer in you know in the future. And um, of course, this is a blip. But let's, let's, you know, I think it needs to be, it needs to be kept as a blip. And I don't think that, you know, it, that's where I think the, the role of kind of, you know, governing bodies can, can potentially come in. And I what think I'm right. concerned
5: about, oh, sorry. though, uh, sorry, just to add to what Joel was saying, is that Roland Garros announced last week that they're planning to host this year's tournament with about 50 to 60% fans, which I just think in light of kind of, what we've seen with the Adria Cup. Um, I mean, I don't know how many of those fans that were attending actually like tested positive. We probably will never know that. But I was very shocked when Roland Garros announced that they would be having fans on site this year because I know that the kind of stats in France obviously seen much better than the US Open where they're not having fans. But I kind of just assumed that the big events that would kind of do to take place as normal this year wouldn't have any fans. Especially
0: when you see so much of worldwide sport, not having fans
5: exactly I mean, <laughs> no I mean having
0: fans until we get to a point where there's either a vaccine or there's an mm, element of mm, but there. even even with like um even
3: with the us for example which has said it's not going to have any fans i feel it, it slightly calls into question uh it calls into question no fans even because if you have what 200 odd players kind of in a, a bubble as they plan if one player tests positive. I mean, what are they? What are they going to do with them? Are they just going to be out of the tournament? How are they going to actually police people not going out of that bubble? What exactly. are the What are the kind of sanctions if someone goes out into Manhattan, um, mm. into you know a really dangerous place to be? Most likely, still in September. It it just it. I feel like I'm, I almost agree with you, Joe. It's come kind of. I'm not glad if kind of anything awful happens to kind of anyone who was at the Adria tour, but. It needed to happen so that people could learn. But I almost feel that to international sport, which requires international travel,
0: Mm -hmm. almost feels to me like can it happen without a vaccine i'm not sure i don't don't know i I think what you don't want if you're a Roland Garros uh, organizer you don't want the same thing that's happened with the Adria tour where somebody has contracted coronavirus and then the whole tour's been cancelled because if you're a Roland Garros organizer you're relying on sponsors you're relying on tv coverage you've got so much money for that reason and yes it shouldn't be about money but so often it is that you don't want to organize a tournament that in the third round gets called off because someone's contracted coronavirus and i think that would be the completely the wrong way to go because then you're in exactly the same role again with tennis being yeah. why have you even bothered and, and and it's then a more negativity in the press and and potentially mm. fans coming away and I think that that then gets into its whole of the debate I mean we'll move on slightly because Josh Nick Kyrgios so often a form of Bewilderment, let's call it, let's call it <laughs> his actions on and off court. Some of his not trying-ness um, is now the voice of reason in tennis. Him and Dan Evans together. Um, he would have thought. Well, exactly, <laughs> that come? two people who are, let's say, often not well-liked by certain members of the tennis community um, are, are now both advocates of making sure people are doing what they should be. And rightly so, because some of Nick Kyrgios' comments are, have been completely uh, completely correct boneheaded decision to play it um said to Djokovic's dad that the blame shouldn't be pushed onto Dimitrov um called Zverev selfish and the best part about it was when Boris Becker called him a rat and said I don't like rats his <laughs> words That's were for bad. goodness sake Boris I'm not competing or trying to throw anyone under the bus it's a global pandemic and if someone is is as idiotic as Alex to do what he has done I'll call him out for it simple what a statement Josh from Nick
3: <laughs> good on it i
0: Full disclosure, I'm
3: a, I'm a fan. Okay, not all the time, but more than 75% of the time, I'm a big fan of Kyrgios. I think he's brave to stick his head above the parapet and say and call players out for what they've been doing wrong because not a single... Dan Evans and Murray have put out kind of more, I think, more cautious statements yeah. kind of condemning what's happened. But Kyrgios is the only one who said, is kind of called people out and said, this is wrong. He... He didn't have to do that. I think it's brave. You'd expect people like Federer, Nadal, really well-respected within the sport to kind of to come out and say it's wrong.
0: I find I, it really, yeah, John, why I do find it- they haven't? why did? Yeah, that's a great point. Why haven't they? Well, Well,
3: I think it's because their reputations are such, they, there's a real thing, I feel, amongst the kind of elite within tennis that they don't want to say anything controversial. I mean, their, their PR teams are so huge. Any kind of any question that's kind of might, I I think it's the case as well that they have such kind of strong rivalries with these with these players. It it may they're not quite sure how it would affect that if they were to come out and like strongly condemn something that that other player had done. But I think Kyrios, kind of someone with with nothing, almost nothing to lose, he doesn't have a massive stake in. In tennis, particularly, he's he's very open that he's got other interests. He kind of does tennis because he's good at it. He's not kind of wedded to the sport like a a Federer or an Nadal. And I think it kind of puts him in a strong position, really, to sort of to to not be afraid of you know repercussions. He just kind of says it how it is. I really respect him for it. Yeah, probably won back
5: a lot of. He's probably won back a lot of fans that you know had uh, maybe got a bit pissed off with some of his antics and he's exactly. just said it how it is and and actually you know i'd never thought i'd kind of agree with like what he kind of came out and said but yeah he hit the nail on the head and i think i don't know why boris becker was uh having a go at him because i mean that's just more kind of arrogance being displayed i think with boris becker's uh point of view but. especially
0: from someone so legendary in tennis you'd think mm. well I'm, he's not in the sport anymore really not not as a player i know that he, he works with certain players but he could have he could have just called them out as well, but to call Nick Kyrgios a rat for it just seems a bit odd, a little bit strange. Yeah, yeah. it's like
5: you can't ever criticize, a, you know, someone who you work with, or you know, I'm a woman, I could never criticize another woman. I mean, it, it's that kind of the same logic? It doesn't make any sense, does it? So, no. yeah ridiculous um Com-
0: complete agreement and I think um Nick Kyrgios well well played fair play to Nick Kyrgios because I, I it's exactly the point I was going to make him he's brought back some of the fans that potentially uh, were lost at, at this point um I, I am aware that we are running out of time so I'm going to move this on Joel to the to the final point in this and it's more about the st- state of the men's game in, in general so um Joel and Kim I'll come to you uh, about that first and then Josh um I'll come to you afterwards but I'm just going to run through a few stats for you because obviously the big The big three are currently world number four, Federer, 38 years old. World number two, Nadal, 34 years old and fairly injury-prone, especially in in, in the recent uh, past. Djokovic, 33-year-old, world number one. Um, Between them, they've occupied ridiculous amounts of semi-finals, finals, quarterfinals, whatever, in in all the major Grand Slams. Um, If we look at the Australian Open 2020, uh, won by Djokovic, Um, If we look at the US Open 2019, won by Nadal. Wimbledon um, 2019, won by Djokovic. Roland Garros 2019, won by Nadal. Uh, Australian Open 2019, won by Djokovic. Um, Federer getting to finals, semi-finals. um, Djokovic and Nadal getting to semi-finals, finals every single time. And then you look at the next gen of players, the likes of Dominic Team, Medvedev, um, even the the, the younger players like Sitsipas, Zverev. Mm -hmm. The only ones of those to get to any final have been Dominic Team, who's got to Australian Open final in 2020, and Roland Garros in 1918, and Medvedev, who got to the US Open final in 2019. Other than that, it's been completely dominated by the likes of Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal. So my question to you, Joel, really is this. Do you worry about the state of men's game? Because there's two camps to this. Do you worry about the state of the men's game when these absolute titans retire? Because it can't be long before, at least Federer does, and maybe the other ones' bodies start to, to, to dissipate slightly. Or are you other uh, another viewpoint of where when they retire, there'll be a much more level playing field, and therefore the men's game could actually improve, even yeah. with its top stars going? I think
4: it's an interesting one because, you know, they've been around, the top three have been around for so long and dominated for so long. And, you know, even before we talk about the, you know, the next gen, you know, people, there are a lot of people who kind of talk about a group of players um, like Dimitrov and, uh, you know, Nishikuri and, uh, you know, Berditch, um who are part of this lost generation. The fact that, you know, they were good tennis players, but you know, at their peak, it wasn't as good as, you know, the mm. big threes peak. And as a result of that, you know, the achievements that they have haven't really kind of been able to show you like how, you know, how good they are as tennis players. And you know, I think we're now getting to a point where it's, it's kind of interesting because we're getting these almost, it feels like these um, intergenerational matchups between kind of like the older, older guard, um, you know, like Federer, for example, and, you know, the next gen, you know, people like Alex Verev and i think you know at the moment i think you know i like those that that sort of match up you know the 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 experienced pro versus the you know young upstart and it can produce you know i think it can produce absolutely fantastic tennis matches i only think you have to go and watch you know medvedev versus nadal where me and kim stayed up until you know the absolute crack of dawn to you know to watch it and to experience it and you know i think i think those matches are really important because you know the those those next gen players they almost need to play with these greats, these, these goats um, to, you know, understand what level of tennis they need to be at in order to win a grand Sam so that, you know, when they, you know, when the, the big three inevitably do retire, you know, they can, they can take on that mantle. Um, and hopefully we're not in some sort of, you know, lull period, I would yeah. say, you know, when, you know, Roger Federer was kind of dominating and it was sort of like there was Andy Roddick, maybe a, a Wimbledon, but, but really that was it. And I think that's probably the one thing that that probably scares me most is that I don't want to go to a situation where it's just like not competitive. Mm. Um, so I think it's kind of good at the moment there is a you know a crop of players. So yes, it's kind of I think you know the, the chat was kind of like Zverev, he's the leader of the next gen. But kind of since then, you know, Sissipas has come up, Medvedev has come up, we've got Dominic team as well. Um, you know, it, 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 I think it bodes well the fact that there's a crop of players that. I think it's going to make it interesting you know um you know once then you know the next generation kind of truly take over but yeah at the moment I'm I'm kind of like all interested in this sort of inter these intergenerational matchups and um you know just to add that to that on the women's side you know you've seen someone like Kim Kleister's come back and you know when she came back you know you know on twitter it was like it was like oh I you know what matchups would you love to see you know Kim Kleister's in and it's like Kim Klysters versus Simona Halep, Kim Klysters versus Coco Goff or whatever. And, you know, on the men's side, actually, you can look at it. They're kind of almost in a better position to give these cross-generational matches. Because you've got people like Roger Federer playing he's forty. You know, it doesn't feel like, you know, Nadal or Djokovic are, you know, going where, going anywhere at the moment. Andy Murray just wants to get back on the tennis court. So, you know, it's great to kind of see them play, uh, you know, play, yeah, play against people, you know, um, Ten years, ten years they're younger.
0: Yeah, without uh, fifteen I, years
4: they're younger.
0: Yeah, and and that's where the excitement, I imagine, does does lie, especially for for the for the next coming players. I mean, last last word on this to you, Kim. Do you think the likes of Medvedev, Sitsipas, Zverev, even the likes of um, Berrettini, Rublev, uh, Sh- uh, Shapovalov? Um, <laughs> it's a bit, of any, a bit of
5: a mouthful. I, that one, I yeah.
0: thought I'd got it out then and just hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Shapovalov. Um, do you think? any of those kind of players are good enough at all to, to replicate or at least um, get a few grand slams under their belt and maybe share the load a little bit.
5: I certainly think they have it in them. Um, whether they have it in them at the moment, I think the defining thing for me is why they haven't been able to kind of break through and win a slam is their mental strength. The, the ability to to actually be able to defeat a top three player in a slam is one thing, but to be able to defeat two or three top three players, like of the big three in a slam you know, we've seen a lot of them, you know, cause upsets, but they often can't follow it up and go all the way subsequently. So it's the ability to like consistently kind of have that big win and pull it off. And I just don't, I think Dominic team has obviously come closest and perhaps Medvedev, but I think within time, but I don't see any of them, you know, I don't see it. I, don't, I think what we've seen with the big three and like the vast quantities of slabs that they've had, I just don't see, I don't think we'll see that again in our lifetimes. Um, but you know, famous last words. I could be wrong, yeah, I, and I, I don't know how. Yeah. I don't know how the pandemic is going to influence things. Maybe that will speed up the transition. Um, I, as a rapper fan, hope not. I want to see him <laughs> get a few more Roland Garrises at least, but uh, we'll see.
0: Yeah. I mean, it would be it would be lovely for him to to do that before then yeah. retiring on a massive high. Just,
3: I mean, just as a Federer fan, I really hope he doesn't. So, or <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, less. <laughs> sort
0: of have a few more
5: Wimbledons and we'll have a few uh, more uh, red really As so long as that we that agree that Federer sure. agrees,
3: uh, finishes on more grand slams, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> wouldn't um, it I heard something on another podcast say, wouldn't it be
0: great if they all just finished on 20?
5: That would be quite
0: if, fair, I think. I, I feel like it would. I think it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. That right.
5: would be quite um, a nice numerical score.
0: Well, that is that is all we've got time for, I'm afraid. Um, I've absolutely loved, I don't know about you, Josh, but I've absolutely loved speaking <laughs> to you both um, about tennis and speaking to you as well, Josh, and getting all three of your expertise. Um, great. But yeah, Josh, have you, have you enjoyed this this tennis podcast with these lovely guests? <laughs> I just feel overwhelmed by the
3: tennis knowledge. And yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> been really, it's, been, it's been really good to, to chat tennis for a
0: good chunk of time it's been really yeah, good absolutely um we've got about a minute left in this section so very quickly uh kim how can people access your podcast
5: uh yeah we're on all the main kind of podcast platforms so spotify apple um wherever you get your podcasts really we're there um it's just it's just um passing shot pod uh, so the passing Shot tennis podcast and yeah you can follow us on social media as well twitter is our main one but also instagram and facebook um at passing shot pod so yeah give us a follow uh give us a listen we kind of have our weekly catch-ups and we also have you know special guests on and uh we have sort of at the moment obviously with not so many uh, live events happening we have countdowns of kind of dramatic moments over the last decade from tennis so uh, occasionally a, a good quiz as well so lots of different stuff um for anyone that's into tennis really
0: Lovely. And uh, listeners, make sure you go and check that out, please, because I have listened myself. It's an excellent listen. Uh, Really, really recommend it for any massive tennis fans. Uh, Kim and Joel, that's all we've got time for in this section. Thank you so much for coming on. No worries. Thank you. It's been lovely. Um, Coming up in part three, the sports quiz. So thanks, uh, massive thanks to the uh, Passing Shot Tennis Podcast for joining us in that last section. But Chris, we're about to have your sports quiz. woo First though, um, Will, I have to say, I'm absolutely loving your Wikipedia page uh, quizzing because it's, it's just a great way to pass the time. Um, <laughs> and trying to think of the most obscure people ever, and we had some people do pretty well this week. Yeah, hopefully my boss isn't listening to this. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll deny it to the to the hills. I'll just I was coerced yeah, by I'll, Josh. I'll into after space. just mis- after just mentioning it on 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 the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: No he's all supportive so. of it. He's all oh, supportive. Good.
0: Well, this week uh, we had um, obviously Kevin Green, who who hmm. we mentioned last week um, at Sporting Heroes, who was on. fire. love a bit of greenie. Oh, who does it? a bit of greeny. What a guy. Um, but also, this week, a new person. We had uh, Mark Padden at IL Padrino 1994 with some great answers. Um, loving the Lamar, Loire, Loire, and Marlon Harewood answers he gave because Marlon Hare was a uh, Newcastle fan. Yeah, yeah. But Big Marlon Hare was a personal fan. favorite of mine. Love um, that. Yeah. Love so, that, the, that. Villas, Villas subhero um super sub
2: oh every every club sub hero what are you chatting <laughs> yeah, like? yeah true
0: true um he, used to, he just he didn't used to affect the game really he just used to come on and, and kind of wave up the crowd and just get him on side for the last 10 minutes
2: just reminded me of homer simpson
0: <laughs>
2: round-headed
0: <laughs> yeah round-headed I, like but, also, but also but also because there was a simpsons episode where homer simpson did ask, act as the crowd um Bigger Upper, I think. I seem to remember. At baseball, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, we digress. So thank you to Bigger those that have joined in. It. Yeah, Bigger Upper. Yeah, whatever <laughs> they call it. Um, like Hype Man, Hype Man, that's what he was. Yeah. Um, anyway, we digress. Thank you to those that joined in the quizzes on Twitter this week. But we have a real life, real time quiz from Quizzy Chrissy. Um, so quizzy Chrissy, please take it away
1: okay yeah so yeah five questions um so uh i'll ask and then i'll each of you i'll go around each of you in turn for an answer uh and the closest answer uh takes the point so, i just say
3: chris before you start the thing i've most missed about this podcast is your quizzes <laughs> <comes from> <laughs> well, hopefully
1: this lives up there's much mental multiple choice in this one but uh I mean, I
0: will go, say instantly that's that's harsh towards Will, Josh. Um, you didn't say that to Will last week. However, you did also get a horrific question last week <laughs> about an <laughs> obscure. Not my fault that
2: He doesn't know the history of Mozambique, man.
0: I mean, I agree. I'm, I'm entirely yeah, agree with reason. you. Yeah.
2: This isn't the nice, Itsy Whitsy spider podcast or the Bill and Ben podcast. It's the Sports Weekly podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking a game. <laughs>
1: I'll be getting on your Wikipedia quizzes next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so question one: uh, Liverpool, uh, of course, won the league in June. Um, but when was the last time the top division in England was won in the month of June? So I want the year. Um, Dan, you look sharp. Talk. Come to you first for your answer. Uh,
0: I don't. I, I have no idea. I don't know where to go at this. I'm going to go 1952.
1: Okay. Uh, Will,
2: what do you reckon?
0: Fuck uh, me. <laughs> do you
2: remember? Do you remember last week when? Uh, do you remember last week when he almost got like the Joel Inton question? out yeah. of Nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try and do that. So Liverpool won it 30. No. 30. Um. I can't even think. Uh. I'm going to go last time they won it 1990. Okay, and Josh?
3: I'll go 2006.
1: Okay, well it is actually Dan that's closest. The correct uh, right. year was uh, 1947 and it was after we had a really harsh winter and so they had to push back all the fixtures basically. So we ended in <laughs> June that year. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, love, yeah, that's a great harshest winter yeah.
1: can you imagine, like, imagine the winter
0: is coming
2: <laughs> so, just see, like big salmon a big duffel coat walking to the ground <laughs> telling his place yeah. to stop being fairies
0: I mean John Mottson's already dressed for it though so it's fine yeah, yeah. He, is, he is constantly dressed for it
1: so question two uh, as we mentioned earlier the Formula One resumed this weekend uh, and we saw a high attrition rate with just 11 cars finishing out of 20 that started the race um, but how many races have taken place since we saw since we last saw fewer finishes than that? So last time we had uh, ten or fewer finishes in the race. So yeah, how many races ago was that? Uh, Josh, come to you first.
0: <laughs> I'm take a punt at one
1: hundred and twelve. Okay. Uh,
0: Dan. Ah, oh, mine was going to be so close to answer as well because I was trying to work out. I've got a figure in my mind. I'm trying to time multiply them together. Ah, uh, oh, I want to go for exactly the same. I'm going to go uh, 118.
2: a oh. go on, well.
0: Oh. Well,
2: not nothing. Well, I mean, Dan's just sort of done what Josh has done to Dan.
1: <laughs>
2: um I, i'm but i'm not gonna wash out i'm gonna stick with my answer 119
1: well Ooh. you're actually all amazingly close <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> uh, but josh takes it uh with his guess the actual answer is 114
0: oh, no. <laughs> Back in the middle of,
1: that's amazing work guys that's we are awesome. so good at this i was <laughs> estimating yeah.
0: it's around 2014 and trying I'll to like, work out yeah,
1: how. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Canada, yeah, yeah 30, in 2014. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well worked out from that. Uh, so, question three um, yeah, is a cricket question. Um, England opener Dom Sibley has lost a lot of weight after receiving a wake up, wake up call on the aborted tour of uh, Sri Lanka in March. But how many kilograms of weight has he lost? Will, what do you
2: reckon? Dumb Sibley. Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely amazing. Uh, I believe the answer to that, Chris, is uh, two stone.
1: Okay. Uh, Josh, what do you reckon?
3: I was just doing a quick stone to kilos calculation. So, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm
1: going
3: to go 13 and a half. Kilograms.
1: What? Kilograms. I okay. oh, was asked to in kilograms. Oh
3: well, I mean, yeah, we live in the 21st question. century, well, oh. we don't use imperial anymore. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. How about, how about you, Dan? I'm
0: going to go 21 kilograms.
1: Okay, just performing a quick calculation on uh, on Will's one there. So that uh, two stone is 12.7 kilograms. Uh, which means <laughs> will is closest. It's 12 kilograms. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Unbelievable.
0: It's so a one-all. It's one That's one one. one-all. one Easy, oh. fellas. Well, and absolutely hard.
1: everything to Work play
0: for. easy. Stunning game.
2: <laughs>
1: and well done on your conversion rate there, mate. Um, so next is sort of weight-related as well, in the opposite way. Uh, golfer Bryson DeChambeau uh, says he's shown there another way to play golf after sealing a first PGA Tour win since bulking out his physique. Um, he gained 45 pounds in weight in nine months, um, which helps him increase his driving off the tee. Um, but in this tournament, how many... Uh, what was his driving distance average off the tee in yards, please? Uh, Josh. So he's bumped up to hit the ball further. Oh, yeah. Our 300, 340
3: yards.
2: Okay. I uh, will. Um three hundred and twenty yards. Hundred and twenty. Uh
0: down. Uh, I'm I'm I think Happy Gilmore could 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 drive the ball <laughs> about four hundred and twenty yards. So okay. and that was ridiculous, obviously, because yeah. it's a film. Um so I'm gonna go slightly <laughs> less than that and go three hundred and eighty.
1: They're all pretty oh, strong guesses. Again, I've, you're all in a similar ballpark. Um, but Josh takes this one. It's 350, so he's just oh. 10 yards oh. So, so I
0: was going to go 360 and then second-guess myself. So that was annoying.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know it would have been a tie, yeah.
0: Okay. I thought you were all just, as usual, overcompensating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just tend to do that, Will, to be honest. That's just my life <laughs> life. Thing. Okay, final question.
1: So Josh has a 2-1-1 to one to one, uh, lead at the moment. And, uh, back to football for question five. Uh, Simple one, multiple choice. Um, Which of these players has scored the most Premier League goals this season? And your options are, uh, man of the moment, Mason Greenwood, uh, Willian, uh, Chris Wood from Burnley, uh, Jordan Ayew from Palace and Roberto Firmino. Dan, who's scored the most this year?
0: Oh, that's tough. Uh, I'm going to go, I think Willian might have done it.
1: William. Thank vote for William. What do you reckon, uh, Will? I'll come to you next.
2: Oh, I think Dan's right. Um, so is it Jordan? Are you? Yeah,
1: oh, it's no, I. Are you Firmino, right. Wood, William, Greenwood?
2: <sighs> I mean, I think Dan's right, but just to be. Out oh, uh, there. I'm gonna say G- no no I was gonna say Jordan I because he's had a good season. I don't think he has. But I'm gonna uh, Jord- Jordan Jordan are you because I don't want to have the same answer as like Dan. <laughs> okay. And Josh? I'd rather lose.
3: I'm gonna have <laughs> the same answer as Dan, <laughs> and I'm gonna go William.
1: He's gonna go William. <laughs> has he got oh, eleven? Yeah, William George. got eleven
0: <laughs> season?
1: Well, the actual answer is Chris Wood from Burnley. Shut off. Gans, Chris <laughs> Wood. Yeah. So I kind of went for a mix of players. So Chris Wood's currently injured, so he's probably not in people's minds at the moment. But yeah, he's actually bagged 11. And he's goals. not
2: scored that many goals. That
1: no. <laughs>
3: sneaky bastard, Chris.
2: <laughs> so, yeah,
1: Wood's on 11. And then next is, uh, you guys were pretty close, really. IU with nine and also William with nine. Oh, no. Um, oh. And then... Oh. Oh. Oh, yes, Dan. This really amazed me, me is that uh, Mason Greenwood, despite only playing about 10 minutes this season, has already equaled Roberto Firmino's Mm -hmm. entire (laughs) Premier League total while playing up for the team that's won the league, which is ridiculous. So they've both got eight goals. But um, Mm -hmm. but, yeah, no points to anyone there. Unfortunately... It was Wood, so Josh takes a win with uh, two points there. To, nice. To well,
0: well done, Josh. Um, I would give you a round of applause, but it's loud in the microphone. I'll give you a little tap. Thank you. You can hear that. Um, a little tap. That sounds weird. I'm not going to say that again. Um, right. Well, uh, Chris, whatever your name is, Chris, thank you for the quiz. Uh, Josh, I'm going to ask this now. Are you joining us next week, young man? I uh, i tempted
3: away by a uh, passing shot, you know, we'll have to see. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, well, you are the quiz master for next week, please, Josh. So please prepare a, w- a wonderful quiz um, for our pleasure. But that's all we've got time for this week. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you want to join in the conversation, have a go at Will's quizzes, then follow us on Twitter and at PodSportsWeekly. That's at PodSportsWeekly. If you want to send us an email and a message, that's SportsWeeklyPod at gmail.com. SportsWeeklyPod at gmail.com. Um, Will, had a, had a good time? Absolutely fantastic. Josh, by the way, that's how you don't be a sheep. William in a world of William's (laughs) be Jordan are you that is true Uh, Josh had a lovely time apart from being um, ribbed by yeah yeah. I I just just trying to know the box in the bottom right corner where he always is just (laughs) look at the two on the left yes (laughs) Uh, and Chris had a good time
1: yeah absolutely I really yeah
0: really enjoyed that absolutely lovely well together. Lovely. Well, thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Um, And listen again next week because this has been Sports Weekly.